Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. We are continuing our sermon series called The Passover Plan and focusing on uh, passages within the gospel according to Mark. Today, we are focusing on Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. I invite you to follow uh, along as I read the scripture in your bulletin, or perhaps you brought your own Bible, or you're following along electronically, or, or however you choose. Let us hear the word of the Lord. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel text this morning begins by telling us that Jesus was in the village of Bethany in the house or home of Simon the leper, an anonymous though apparently well-known man because this is the only place that he is identified in all of the gospels. Now, we don't tend to think of Jesus being in a home. We, we assume uh, that Jesus is always on the move toward his passion, toward Jerusalem, and toward the cross. Yet Mark makes a point of telling us that while Jesus was carrying on his ministry in Bethany. In this case, even though the text doesn't say so, but God's, or John's gospel version does, Jesus was having a meal there, and the anonymous people who followed him were laying around with him on couches celebrating him. As Mark uses this story, notice there is an obvious anonymity to the characters, unlike the other gospels. In John chapter 12, 1 through 8, Matthew 26, 6 through 13, and Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. There's where you'll find the other gospel versions of this story. Well, what's Mark's purpose here about anonymity? Anonymity is not the case with the other gospel versions, such as John, who identify all the characters in the story. In concert with Mark's intention as the author, I believe the purpose of anonymity is to generate our own personal reaction to the action and reaction of the characters in the story, and most importantly, 
to our understanding of what it means to be an obedient follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. Suddenly, in the house, there came an anonymous woman who appeared and stood above Jesus as he was sitting on a, on a couch. The woman's behavior was unorthodox. She broke into a men's dinner, anointing Jesus while he was eating and not before. The woman's action was extravagant and eccentric. She broke her alabaster flask of pure nard and poured not only a few drops, which was custom to do for a guest at a meal, but all of it, all of the contents of the flask, all over Jesus' head. What in the world is nard? Nard is not exactly a magnificent name, I think, for a perfume. I think I would walk right past it in Dillard's if I were buying perfume for Susie. But according to scholars, nard is extracted from a rare plant in India, and it's very costly, it's very expensive. The woman's action drew a quick and critical reaction for some who witnessed this act said indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? Some of the people shocked by the extravagance of the woman's action complained that the, that the ointment could have been sold before, for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. The reaction made sense. It was clear. It was understanding. But Jesus disagreed with their criticism and took them all to the woodshed. Jesus said, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing to me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for my burial. Now the Greek language has two words for the word good. First, there is agathos, which describes something that is morally good. Second, there is kalos, which is the word that Jesus uses in this scripture passage that describes a thing which is not only good, but is beautiful. And that's exactly what the woman did here. Love does not only do good things, love does beautiful things. So how then does this woman's extravagant, beautiful love shown to Christ deepen our understanding of what it means to be an obedient follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. We remember that Jesus came with a purpose, and that purpose was to lead us into a new relationship with God. God had a plan to accomplish that purpose and called upon his disciples to trust that plan no matter what. No matter how hard it got, no matter how painful it or or awful it looked. And the Bible tells us that Jesus plainly revealed God's plan, his Passover plan to his disciples three different times in the gospel according to Mark. First, in Mark chapter eight, verses 31 and 32. Then in Mark chapter nine and verse 30 through 32. And lastly, in Mark chapter 10 and verses 32 through 34. And each time that Jesus predicted his death and resurrection, he revealed just a little bit more about God's Passover plan. 
Following the first prediction of his death and resurrection, Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ. Can we be honest here? We don't exactly like that word obedience. There's not a day, I bet, that goes on where you don't hear or have to deal with a lot of do's and don'ts. Let me give you some examples. Don't drive too fast. It's slick out there. Do drive carefully. Don't, too, don't put too much salt in the tomato sauce. Do be yourself, but don't just be yourself too much. Don't forget to take out the trash. Do brush your and floss your teeth before you go to bed. I need to listen to that one. Don't forget to wear your mask. How many times have you heard that one over the past year? Do wash your hands. There's more. Today, our culture has a lot of rules and laws, and sometimes, sometimes obeying them can be a little burdensome, a little overwhelming. So Sunday after Sunday, after practicing a week of following these rules and laws and trying to get a hold of them, we come to church praying and hoping that God would tell us what to do. But what do we hear instead? We hear about this thing called grace. And the hardest thing to understand about God's grace is that it totally flips our understanding of rules and obedience upside down on its head. After Jesus brought God's Passover plan to completion on the cross and he rose from the grave, we discover that the only thing we can do in response is to adore his beauty and be grateful for the grace shown to us by God that enables us to live in a new relationship with him. Obedience to God's law is the way we express our gratitude. In the Old Testament, law was not just a list, or it wasn't just described as a list of do's and don'ts. It was a way to draw us near to God, and the prophets helped us do that. The difference the passion and the cross of Jesus Christ makes is that God planned a way to draw close to us. God took the first step through Jesus Christ. In his passion and on his cross and in the grave, God, rising from the grave, Jesus made God's love real. And so obedience is a beautiful way of saying back to Jesus, I love you too. In our text, Jesus exposed the incomprehension of those who criticized the woman whom John called Mary who did this beautiful thing to Jesus when he said, you'll always have the poor with you and whatever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She's done what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for burial. And what Jesus meant 
was that this woman anointed his body to suffer for him to be the, the suffering Messiah. The woman understood what it meant to be a Christian, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Through her abundant, extravagant, and beautiful loving act and adoration for Jesus, the woman not only anointed Jesus' body for suffering Messiahship, but she also demonstrated the path of the suffering Messiah. She came to complete God's Passover, who came to complete God's Passover plan, leading us through suffering and sacrifice to death and rising from the grave, which is the heart of the gospel through her faithful example of loving obedience to follow her Lord Jesus Christ. Love does not only do good things, love does beautiful things. In our scripture passage this morning, there are four elements of loving obedience demonstrated by this anonymous woman. Number one, the woman surrendered her pride. In our text, the woman broke at least two cultural norms. First, she entered a dinner for men. Second, she anointed Jesus while he was eating instead of before, which is the custom to greet guests who are coming to a meal. What is this woman doing? What is she thinking? Here is what I think she's saying to herself and to others. I don't care what anybody thinks. I know who you are, Jesus. And you deserve all my adoration and love. And there's no act of devotion that is beneath my dignity. Pride. Anywhere we go in life, pride seems to follow us on the Christian journey. Someone has pointed out that pride comes early and stays late. Martin Luther once observed that pride is the last and deepest vice. Pride has a good side. Pride has a bad side. In this sermon, I'm focusing on the bad side. That is, in every human heart, including yours and mine, pride exists. Pride communicates loudly to Jesus and to the world, you owe me. If you want to obediently follow Jesus Christ, you must surrender your pride and say to Jesus, like the woman said through her loving act, Jesus, you owe me nothing. I owe you everything. The first element of loving obedience is to surrender your pride. The second element of loving obedience is to trust, completely trust God's Passover plan. The woman trusted God's Passover plan. Why did this woman demonstrate such loving obedience to Jesus like she did? She not only believed in who Jesus was, but she completely trusted God's Passover plan, no matter how it looked, how awful or, plain, or painful it looked. She didn't understand how yet or even why, but she realized he was going to die. Die for her. And this overwhelmed her. This woman expressed grateful joy to Jesus from her beautiful heart. She knew, as we're going to sing shortly, that his love demanded her all. This was this woman's motivation. It changed her from the inside out. First, loving obedience means surrendering your pride to Jesus. 
and telling the Lord, you owe him everything. Second, loving obedience means trusting, completely trusting in God's Passover plan so that you can see on the cross that Jesus has given you everything. And third, loving obedience means giving all you have. And that's what this woman did. She gave all she had. The Bible tells us that there were some who said, why was this ointment wasted like that? For the ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. 300 denarii in those days was equivalent to a working person's annual salary. What does Jesus say in response? Leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing to me. You've always, you will always have the poor, but you will not always have me. In other words, Jesus knows that in the light of his sacrifice, there's no such thing as wasting or over-extravagance when it comes to obediently loving Jesus. The woman was willing with grateful joy to give up everything she had so that in return, she could receive everything she needed to live, abundantly live and obediently follow her Lord Jesus Christ. Loving obedience means surrendering your pride. Loving obedience means completely trusting God's Passover plan. Loving obedience means giving Jesus everything you have. And fourth and lastly, loving obedience means giving Jesus all of you. Now, we don't often associate joyfully giving all we are with obedience. But that is what the woman did. That's what she did when she extravagantly, generously loved Jesus in preparation for his burial. The woman believed that in the spirit-filled life, joy is always a choice. And sometimes going all in with Jesus is the hardest choice of all. Remember your decision to joyfully go all in with Jesus has less to do with the circumstances of this life and everything to do with the salvation you have already received thanks to Jesus. I love this illustration. Writer Evelyn Underhill compared our loving obedience of Jesus to that of a sheepdog. A long time ago, I had a sheepdog. And all, all I remember was all that hair. Underhill, Underhill said that the sheepdog learned to listen to the shepherd's voice. It always does what it is commanded. And most importantly, most importantly, the sheepdog always does what its shepherd commands with a wagging tail. My friends, our hearts were built by Jesus for Jesus. When we decide to obediently follow Jesus Christ in our life, surrendering our pride, trusting completely trusting in God's Passover plan, no matter what, giving Jesus all we have and all we are, we can love one another beautifully and extravagantly, meeting, meeting all our needs, especially when it seems to others that it's complete and total waste. In Matthew, the Bible tells us that Jesus once asked, Peter once asked Jesus this question, Lord, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said, 
And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. What in the world does Jesus mean by a hundredfold? When I was serving as a general associate pastor at First Central Presbyterian Church in Abilene, Texas, oh my gosh, 16 years ago, I think, um, I used to eat with a clergy friend across the street at the, uh, there's a method, there's churches all over downtown. We all work together, Disciples Church, the Methodist Church across Orange Street, um, the Christian church up the road. We did everything together. And so we got to know each other. And I used to eat with a clergy friend of mine from the Methodist church. And one day we decided to go and eat at Dairy Queen. And we drove by a house near the Methodist church surrounded by cars. And there wasn't a car, there wasn't a parking spot to park your car for a whole city block. Cars were parked on the lawn, cars were parked everywhere. So I asked my friend what was going on while he was driving. I said, has someone died? And he said, no, that's Gladys's house. All her children, including her own, she had, including other children who are now men, men and women, well over 100, have come to celebrate her by throwing her a party. At that time, Gladys was 105 years old. 20 years before, Gladys lost her husband, and she made up her mind at that time that she would devote the rest of her life to beautifully loving children for the Hendrick Home for Children in Abilene. And maybe you've heard of that place. Gladys gave up everything, my friend said, to do this for Jesus. Gladys knows, this is the, the statement he said that caused me to remember this story. Gladys knows how to break alabaster jars. That's what Jesus meant by a hundredfold. To be surrounded by authentic, loving relationships that focus on one thing, meeting each other's needs and beautifully loving one another. Jesus said, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done, will be told in memory of her. Let us pray. Oh God of mercy, grace, and love, fill us with so much of your amazing love that never ends that, that it will frighten us, Lord, to discover that our lives are no longer our own but have been lost in the grateful joy of loving you and our neighbors with tender obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.